0: He nae pūrangī tenei, nā te reo irirangi o aotearoa.
1: Aotearoa aoe. O te reo aue, te o tereo reo irirangi.
2: There's a photo in the Bay of Plenty Times, published on the 4th of February, 1991. It's a picture of Jeanette Kuno, the first announcer on Te Reo or Tauranga Moana. I remember the newspaper clipping inside a thick album book. The book is probably somewhere in storage. And I'm keen to track it down, so I head to the local library. Forward and rewind here. Yep. Um, but just click it very gently because it goes quite fast. Ah, uh, yes. I'm just trying to get As I'm scrolling through That's the microfilm, these story. real estate ads in bold. In 1991, a three-bedroom house for sale was at $140,000. What a bargain. Uh, then I come across the article. The headline, Bubbles Launch Marty Station. It reads... Tauranga's new Māori radio station went on the air yesterday with a church service and champagne breakfast. Broadcast live, the opening was attended by about 150 people at Hunga Hungahunga Tōrua Marae. Transmission from the station's 20-metre aerial beside Waipu Bay was expected to extend to Bowen Town and Maketu. Announcer for yesterday's opening was Jeanette Kerno. Other announcers will include Amy August, Howard Palmer and Marama Furlong. Yep, there's Jeanette, smiling. Uh, her fingers are on top of a crate of records like she's scrolling through each of them. There's a cheesy grin on her face. At the caravan window behind her, locals, Hawata Palmer, Poi Heidi Walker and Murray Rolleston look on. From the photo you can sense that joy, that the station is finally on air.
0: Moana AM. Kote Tauranga Moana.
2: When Māori radio first began, following in the footsteps of Te Upoko Te Ika, how did they operate, where were they based and what was needed to get the radio stations off the ground? When I was about 11 years old, Mum and Dad bought me and my brother a tape deck uh, for Christmas and my sister a bright yellow Walkman. Uh, my A4-sized tape deck, I guess, was my first studio. And if we look at other firsts, there's Moana Radio, who kicked off its broadcast from a caravan near the local Marae. For Tainui Live, they acquired a Fano whare next to Tūranga Waiwai Marae. And in the early 1990s, Totoku FM and Mangamuka were able to purchase a second-hand console.
1: We went to Auckland, and there was advertisement in the paper, so we managed to get this old console from Radio Eye.
2: And we meet a man who knows all about the technical side of things, broadcast technician, sound person, transmitter guide to the rescue and Māori Radio's very own MacGyver. Papa George Burt.
3: When I was living in rarotonga the, uh, the, the um, radio station used cassette tapes which was a bit strange, but you see we used to make up these little tools out of a, out of a plastic pen so you could actually cue your tape to the start. So you'd you'd play put out it in the
2: hole thing you Yeah, you
3: put it in the hole and you could wind it and you could get your tape all cued up. So you'd just take it off pause and it would play the song.
2: Aotearoa on air, 100 years of radio, No mai, hara mai ki tēnei kōnei ipurangi, e paa nākinga reo irirangi Māori. Welcome to this four-part series about Māori radio. This is episode two, The Setup. Uh,
4: uh, before I, I left the army, I, I transferred up to Papakura and I got out in Papakura, so...
2: Herman Waka army emailed army. me his CV to help out with this series. It's pretty extensive. He's served 20 years in the Army and has been involved with Māori development since the early 1980s. Much like Papa George Burt, he was a bit of a MacGyver, but in the Army.
4: What's the difference between a, a transmitter and a receiver, you know, for radio broadcast and that? So I had a, I had a, I had a good idea of how that worked.
2: And after he left the army, he was approached by his uncle who had other plans for his future. And
4: I remember my koro, John Tarangiho, coming up and said to me, son, yeah, I want you to go uh, and work for Te Karere. And this was in 1983. And I says, uh, <clears throat> Uh, I'm still in the army and, and, and
2: I cannot go and, and was, in a way, in the right place at the right time, and he seized an opportunity where he could help get Ewe radio off the ground.
4: My interest was starting to grow in, in, in the media because in 1984, I, there was a huge, huge Māori economic we that the Labour government put on in, in Wellington and was uh, driven uh, in part by Koruwetere, because he was the Minister of Mali Affairs at the time. So I followed up the economic development kaupapa because one of them was, they were talking about establishing iwi radio stations. And when when because at that time the government uh, was looking to allocate um, uh, frequencies.
2: From his 20 years of service in the army, he knew a thing or two about transmitters and aerials and signals and that sort of stuff and he got serious about it he set up his own business
4: iwi radio consultant i had quite a bit of uh, experience in in the military radio that set me up uh to to prepare what i was going to do and the operational side was how do you get a license Iwi we didn't have a clue at that time that this was coming on board and the only Iwis that i I can uh, see at the time that was then when broadcasting at the time was uh, Tupaotika, and I worked very closely with uh, the Economic uh, Development Unit where Kuruhi uh, with it was, next to Maori Affairs, because they held all the frequencies, they held all the licences, they held all the um, applications. So they so they sent me an application and I studied it. What was required to get a license? I then. Um, uh, decided to go and help some of these um, uh, my iwi radios up and running, two were being one of them. That was the first one I I, I, I set up, I put a plan together. Then I went to my iwi, uh, the two-head trust, uh, trust board in Otorua. Uh, hey, how much money do you want? How much? I want $7,000. That's what it was at the time. And that $7,000 was enough to buy me a disc and, and a transmitter uh, to, to, to start the, the broadcast. This is
2: 1985. And they turned me down. Hmm, who knows? Perhaps in time we may see a tuhoi FM radio station. Uh, but back then, not to be disheartened by that, uh, he would go on to help or at least find out what other radio stations were doing.
4: Up in Mahuganam got a all put together in pro, And they they got a frequency very quickly and they started up their own little radio station in the garage in Wātāorea. <clears throat> I had a good look at how Kotega with PDP was working a little, just a little matchbox type uh, office, and their little studio was in a like a huge crate, a wooden crate. That was their studio. So they were coming they, These stations were starting to pop up. 86, 85, 86 was the period I was working through consultations with my Iwi radio. And then uh, and that was in July. And then in November 1986, I get a phone call from
3: Tēnā koutou katoa i ngā aitua maha i hingairato i ngā rā kua pahurea tunei.
2: The late Whaingata was a Māori journalist and producer who paved the way for broadcasters like me. He worked at National Radio from 1975 and headed to television around 1983. Now, he had his eye on Himana for a new pilot show. To discuss the details, they headed somewhere a little bit more laid back.
4: It was about after five o'clock, and so they said to me, we'll go across the road and we'll carry on. So I followed Faye to the pub across the road. I
2: was going to ask you. I was going, to, what? Okay, across the road means what?
4: Across the road was where the drinking hole was, the <laughs> local pub. And <laughs> and it was while we were having a couple of beers. And while we were having a couple of beers. That's yep. when Faye was telling me what the what the cover was. I got so relaxed. here, he had to give me a taxi ticket to, 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 for me to go home back to the North Shore. I got <laughs> <laughs> absolutely drunk. <laughs> But not before he told me what my job was. Right,
2: uh, and what was what was your job that he um asked you to well, do?
4: The job was the, the how the idea came up was when Uni and uh, Fay talked to me was they had just come back from Timor. Remember the Māori exhibition? The exhibition in New York. Yeah. Tene wah will ko. Professor Mead, let's go back to the genesis of the idea of Tamari. Well, it began a long time ago. I think with a number of people in New York who thought that it might be a good idea to uh, to have an exhibition of some of our Tonga. It just floated around for a while until. It finally came together in 82, 83, and by 84, of course, uh, it was away in New York and and up and running. And they were on the plane with all these co-marchers on a plane, jetting over to America. And the two of them, just between the two of them, they decided to say, look, imagine what would happen if this plane went down. Look at all the knowledge that would have gone just like that. So they thought about it, and on the way back, they started to put a plan together. One, let's start a new program. And they said to me, your job is going to be uh, going around to different marais uh, around the country, interviewing crows and queers.
2: From the Te Reo Māori TV program Huia, Hemina then headed to radio. It was here that he cut his teeth in Te Reo Māori sports commentary.
4: Then I left and I went to Laotero Radio. That was very important because that started my journey of commentary. Te Reo.
2: Heemana Waka has a long standing love of sports. His commentary would be linked up via the iwi radio network where other Māori radio stations could take the live feed. As a Te reo Māori sports commentator, however, he needed kupu ho or new words in Te reo Māori for the various codes. So he headed back home.
4: And I knew my koros karo- was going to be there. So I went down with a bottle of whiskey. Then I had some jugs there, lined up for them. And I said, to him, I've got a kaipupa. I want you to give me the Māori words for the positions of the rugby team, like the fullback, the wings, the center segue. And so away they went. So I started uh, for example, stuff on the fullback. And don't say food I won't buy that. <laughs> and then Scott says to me, hiker. What's well, what's that? He says, The hiker was that that's that holds the canoe. You know, when you throw it overboard, holds the canoe. So the canoe won't fly it away. And I said, Yeah. Well the hiker or the anchor person, he's at the stern, he makes sure everything is all right. That the canoe won't go overboard or won't go and hit a bank and have an accident. The fullback. He's the last man of defence. He looks after the trial line behind him.
2: And then things took off. He formed his own company, Māori Sportscasting International.
4: I knew I had an audience because I had all the radio stations there. Yeah? So I just emailed a letter to all of them. I'm coming up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend my thinking. If want some more Māori percentage in your radio station, use me. And that's exactly what they did.
2: Today, Hemina is back in his tribal homelands of Tefarua or Tsuhoi, where he is still busy with local iwi and hapu affairs. Setting up a Māori radio station was no mean feat. In episode one of the series, Paripi Walker talked about the fundraising efforts with a radiothon and bingo hosted by Marai in Wellington. As we explore these early stories, Eru Kura, current journalist and programme director at Awa FM in Whanganui, was just 14 years old. 14, uh, when he attended a hui that discussed setting up a Māori radio station.
0: I was the only person, probably under the age of 40, who turned up. And I'm sure those koumata were like thinking, what the heck is this young boy doing here?
2: In that 1990 hui, when was uh, the station uh, you know, set up? What, what period was it actually up and running?
0: Um, in June uh, 17, 1991, that's when um, Te Reo Ire our FM was set up um, and only this year we, we our FM, celebrated its 30th birthday Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. our fm is now available on iheart radio our FM on the go on iheart radio download the iheart radio app free on your phone
2: today radio is in your hand like literally, it's in your hand on your phone. It's a simple click of a mouse button. But back in the day, uh, it was cueing songs, getting your next CD ready, counting down, faders up, faders down, uh, listening on cue for the pip tones coming for the news. Gosh, I sound old. And uh, it was big, solid, chunky, clunky looking machines stored somewhere or stacked in the corner of the production room. What is real to
0: real? It looks like a it looks like a, a film projector uh, the thing I like about the analog equipment, I think it was actually more reliable than the digital equipment that we've got now, because when when something sort of stuffs up with the digital equipment, everything, you can't use everything, and at least with the analog equipment, it was only confined to one specific thing, and you could still go on air. On air, nothing was automated. You had to be there to push the button, you had to be there to push the play button, and so if you wanted to go to the paku one of the songs I used to play to give me a lot of Time, yes. Was Papa was a Rolling Stone. Because it had a long intro, and by the time it got into the vocals, I knew that I had a number of minutes to get back into the studio because I turned up the speakers loud.
2: And then now, and obviously now you are doing um, Te Reote Uru, which is a, a news uh, segment of Awa FM, Iru.
0: That's right. So last year in November, um, Just last year I was asked to come back home to Whanganui um, and I was asked if I'd like to come back home and become the program director and breakfast announcer. For many years, I'd been pining for home and thinking I want to get home one day. It's important for me to be a kanohi kitia back in Whanganui because I didn't want my cousins um, saying, you know, when you're on to karere, you use the Wanganui meter and you say you're from Whanganui, but we don't see you around here. And so I decided, yep, um, to come back home and I was warmly welcomed home last year.
1: Kumongotani fatemoi e e e mai mai Tau.
2: Total FM manager Cyril Chapman's father was born in 1900. Cyril has 23 siblings and grew up where radio wasn't allowed in the house. His father was suspicious of the outside world.
1: What he used to say was that um, uh, the environment dictated how we would turn out. So we were had to sneakily listen to the radio. I suppose in a way, radio become a, a tin uh, to us as Tamiliki.
2: You know, Toowoomba FM. You did mention it briefly that you were one of the five stations that earlier in the early days that kind of started up. You know, why was it named or Can you tell us about the time, the 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 beginning, really, of Toowoomba FM?
1: Yeah, well, it was really just a, a passion we had. We were the ones who left. You uh, left our homeland, our papakoi, and went to the city to find a better life, and realised that we had missed out on a lot. We had missed out on real, we had missed out on the um, being with our nans, our old people who were diminishing at that time. They were, it was the last of that generation of the Tuturu Maori world. So, so we decided to come home and, and we had this idea, oh, we're going to start this radio station. Uh, we had big huiunga with our kaumata of that time and, we, and it was them who guided us really into you know, how, we, how we would um, represent our people back home. We don't, didn't want to be exclusive. Uh, we didn't want to be named after an iwi because we wanted to maintain, like, in, in some ways, a, um, uh, uh, a thing that was open and diverse to all our pun, all our hapū. So we came up with the idea uh, through our discussion with our komato of the word or to support. Uh, we had a, a, a company down from Coromandel who was a production company who helped us. We had uh, Bina Pater. She came in and she said, okay, I'm going to give you some lessons on how to speak in the mic. I remember clearly uh, she came up and she, she used to run these sessions with us and and it was the day we were going to here And uh, uh, I remember um, I was one of the announcers and, uh, okay, so you press the button, the red light come on, the mic was on, ready to go. The red light came on, my mouth opened, and nothing would come out.
2: Now, pushing the mic button, especially when it's live to air and not pre recorded, is still a buzz, and Cyril's on air jitters would ease. I mean, the station's been on air for 30 years. In fact, during my interviews for the series, Marty radio have celebrated three decades or more on the airwaves. But during those early days with totuk or FM I asked Cyril about pūtia, or money, and he says it was a real faro effort.
1: We were on benefits at that time we 'd put ten dollars from our benefit into a pūtia, and there were a few of us, and we had our aunties and uncles that that donate every week to put a it was only ten dollars we'd put it into this bank account until we built it up but then we uh, we 'd have a a uh, founder from Panguru, for example, would say, okay, come out to us and we'll have a big basket social. So we'd, we'd uh, make these beautiful kai baskets, you know, and traditional like kete with full of preserves and we had all the Maori food in them and we'd take them out and we'd, we'd have a big rage have a big rage, and they'd say, we made $1,000 tonight, here it is to help you pay for your power.
2: This episode explores how iwi radio was set up, from the logistics to the on-air announcers. But just imagine if you relocate to a nice new building. You've been on the airwaves for about 27 years up to that point, and a devastating fire breaks out. That's what happened at Tautoko FM premises in 2015.
1: Mm. Yeah, that was one of the most devastating things that could have happened to us. We had been established for over, what, 20 years? Yeah, we for quite, quite a few years, and, and we just bought this building. It was a beautiful old building. It was the old dairy factory here in Mangamuka, and it was built. It was made of all this beautiful native timber, and we renovated it. Yeah, it was really sad because at that time we were also in the process of getting our our archives digitized, and we had just finished uh, completing that building and it, and so we had taken all our archives back into the station to sort them out, and so we lost most of our archives in that in that thing. Oh, it was terrible. Uh, we were woken up, and they said, "The station is on fire. We went down there, and all we could do was just stand and and watch watch our. Our station disappear, really. I mean, it was our olds who established us. We had all our nans who were there. You know, we had like two or three generations had been part of that, part of what was happening. And it was like, oh, suddenly this thing was happening to us. And uh, as devastating as that was, um, uh, we were able to focus on the reason why we existed. And within... Three days, we were up and running again. We, we had a caravan. Uh, we had Papa Hori from Tauranga. He came up to help us. Um, the Māori stations, they rallied together to give money to us, uh, to give us equipment. And within three days, we were up and running again in a little caravan in Mangamuka. Uh, and, and, I mean, and that was pretty amazing, really. And, you know, it was that thing about you know, being resilient and, and coming from a, a resilient culture, a resilient community, uh, you know, and, and looking how our nans, our old people, never nothing ever got in their way.
2: Totoque FM, located in Mangamuka, continue to broadcast on the airwaves, and of course, their content is accessible on their website.
1: We're here to do a mahi. Let's go. We're going to carry on. And as our old people always said, you know, if you can put those things to the side, because we had more important things to do.
2: Should I describe Papa George Burt? Well, he's about five foot four, maybe. Uh, he is very fair with mousy coloured hair. He's pretty quiet, but at an outside broadcast, he's the guy that calms the nerves the stress levels when things go wrong. Say if you cross to a roving reporter and their mic is not working, well, you want to have him on the scene. Or if there's a transmitter issue that's resulted in dead air, who do you call? Papa George. From tribunal hearings to Kapahaka, radio station launches to Tangihanga live streams, Papa George has been there for it all. In fact, I bumped into him the other day as he wrapped up another kaupapa.
3: We've been at the Bay Court today at, with Te Mana Toi is the kaupapa, which is our five teams from Matatu Rohi who were supposed to go to the National Kapahaka Competition, but because of COVID it was totally disrupted and the parents and tutors and families didn't want the kids' efforts to be wasted, so they stood today and performed to an empty theatre, well, substantially empty theatre, maybe 30 people at a time, but we live-streamed it and broadcast it on the radio at the same time in conjunction with Tumiki FM and Fagatani.
2: He's been there in times of stress as well. I uh, remember Cyril talking about the 2015 fire at Tautoko FM Well, Papa travelled to the far north from his home in Katsikatsi. Three days later and after the fire, the station was back on air. His mokopuna, Tiaoriwa Rolleston, based in Auckland, is the current RNZ Henareteua scholarship intern. So who better to do this interview via Zoom? Where does your interest in radio or broadcasting begin was it from an early age or did it come later
3: I would say it was early and I was always a bit of a hotity so I'd pull things to bits uh also I got involved as a young person about that same age early teens uh, with amateur radio but it was more about the technology than the talking to people I think
2: so you're Mm -hmm. always into the tech stuff from a very early age
3: yeah I think I was barely 18 and I ended up in Christchurch um, working for the post office, as it was called back then, um, for their radio section.
2: The post office in Christchurch was the place where they maintained and deployed land mobile radio systems for taxis and trucks. This was back in the 1970s. George also worked in the Chatham Islands. He was in bands and played music. George's parents immigrated to New Zealand from South Africa in the 1950s after World War II. They moved to Wellington but settled on the west coast of the South Island.
3: And growing up in Greymouth. Uh, which is a neat place where we, we we grew up playing around in the in the bush, going on um adventures.
2: And it was in Greymouth that he met his future wife.
3: In nineteen seventy-nine that my love turned up from the North Island. She was moving looking for her brother who was living in the um in Greymouth. Uh, Mabel and I ended up in a band together and she's from uh Taurangi, Rangi Nui. And of course, some now connections thrown in there as well. That was in the early 1980s. We decided we would get married.
2: You may know Papa George's wife, Mabel Farekawa-Burt, singer, songwriter, and actress. She starred in a few movies like Well Rider, Jubilee, and this ad with the catchy tagline: hmm. "How convenient."
3: So uh, we had the opportunity to move to the Cook Islands.
2: Mai kati kati ki kuki idani,
3: And that was to help out with our he was the Baha'i faith. Um, so that opportunity came for me to go there and um, do electronic servicing. Uh, also, that became probably my start in broadcast radio Um, Because in the Cook Islands, there was an FM radio station called uh, uh, Radio Ikudangi. Above uh, Avarua there, there's the Maunga Ikudangi. So there I was. I was able to um, assist in the operations, the technical and engineering and maintaining and running of that um, FM radio station in the Cook Islands before FM had been born here in New Zealand.
2: Through your life, you have been a diligent supporter and contributor to the iwi radio movement. I'd love to know, how did that journey start in terms of iwi radio?
3: When we left the Cook Islands, which was in uh, probably about 1991, I was thinking that, oh, well, that will be the end of my journey in in broadcast, radio broadcast, because I didn't think that would be I'm not sure that there would be a place for me here when we got back to New Zealand to do that sort of thing. But hello, we just got back to Tauranga within the month or two, Moana AM, uh, which was the Tauranga Moana's uh, iwi radio station uh, began broadcasting. So I was there on that day
2: Kauranga's new Māori radio station went on the air yesterday with a church service and a champagne breakfast. Broadcast live, the opening was
3: That Moana uh, AM uh, first began broadcasting from its site at Matapehi, and that was my beginning in EWI radio.
2: With 30 plus years in Māori radio and his time in the Cook Islands, Papa George knows all about setting up stuff. He's pretty much worked throughout the country.
3: Ngā FM had a, that's the EV station in Paeroa, had a uh, midnight to dawn show, and so other stations were able to link in um, Radio Aotearoa, which was the Ruru show, at times doing some work as well with Te over in Whakatane, Totoko FM in the Mangamoka Valley, and they... Um, uh, neat, actually, because they would have their nannies, their queer and karaua in there early in the morning from six o'clock. They'd be karakia, and by the time the sun was up in the sky at eight o'clock in the morning, they'd solve the world's problems. Um, the other one that I admired was Tehiku Media and Kaitaia. Uh, very entrepreneurial, those northern ones. They, at one stage, Tehiku Media had like three radio stations running. So they had their every radio station with their Maori content on. They had a commercial, local commercial radio station to appease their commercial listeners and shops and things. And they just for fun, they had a country music radio station running on low power. And then they established a uh, community TV service as well. Um, So I was fortunate to be involved in helping a lot of that. Mm. So from there, that's how I got to associate with all of these other stations along the way.
2: In 2020, as part of the New Year Honours List, Papa George Burt was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to Māori and broadcasting. Aotearoa On Air, 100 Years of Radio. You've been listening to Episode 2, The Setup. Next time, from questionable on-air characters.
3: People believe that the afternoon spoon, which was me, who are Māori, was an actual Indian. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, The (laughs) disappointment when people realised that the afternoon spoon wasn't Indian, (laughs) and it was just uh, a made-up person who's actually from here in Tauranga
2: the influence of MyFM. They sort of started um, creating this urban rangatahi kind of vibe and, um, you know,
4: and, and irirangi and, and I and I think influenced a lot of the other um, irirangi, especially the urban irirangi.
2: To simply tuning in and hearing familiar voices. Uh, Womble and Blossom, they were called back then and I was just shocked because I'd never heard anything like that before. You know, I'd been, um, my, my radio station was Triple M in Sydney. That's coming up in episode three, The Request Line. Aotearoa On Air, 100 Years of Radio, the series about Māori radio, was written and produced by me, Justine Murray, with thanks to Shannon Honui thompson and Te Rolleston. He mihi nei ki kaimahi katsua o ngā reo irirangi Māori.